the Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Those are the first six verses of Psalm 50, which is the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, September the 9th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We're continuing our study in the in the life of Elijah uh, with 1 Kings 18, verses 1 to 9. We're continuing in the gospel, or not the gospel, but the epistle to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 12 to 23, and then or 12 to 30, sorry, and then the gospel is Matthew's gospel, and it's chapter 2, verses 12 to 23. So that's where that one comes from. So what we're looking at today, and, and what we'll see is, is the, the power of God and the threat that God's people um, pose for leadership. And I don't mean leadership in the church. I mean, I mean leadership in the world, that, we, that we're, we're announcing and bringing an alternate kingdom and an alternate way of life. And so we come to break the power of earthly authorities and to say, you have no power here, that, that ultimately it's God who is in charge. And that's what this psalm begins with, is to say that ultimately God is the one who is omniscient. He knows everything, and he is omnipotent. He has power over all things. It's not us. It's not those who, who would presume to be powerful. No, it's God who's in charge of all things. And how much better would the world be if we all, every single person, bowed the knee to Jesus and recognized him to be the true ruler of all things? And therefore, those who had positions of power and authority realized that those were only positions. The power and authority was delegated completely um, by God, and you served in order to please him. And you could be removed at any time by him for failure to serve him and others. So what we get here in, in 1 Kings 18 is this is after Elijah has raised the, the son of the widow of Zarephath from the dead. So then remember what I told you yesterday about the way that they understand this that whole story, and that is, is that, that God has three keys that that belong to him alone. He can give them to other human beings. But but it, one is over childbirth, one is over the rain, and one is over the resurrection of the dead. And so the, the way that they the Madrash reads the raising of the child from the dead is is that Elijah had had the key of rain and he had to give that to God lest he have two keys and God have only one in order for that child to be raised from the dead. And so that explains Here's a, here's a quick one on how they, they would see it that way. And listen, so before, remember, Elijah said, it's upon my decree that that rain will come again. He says, so after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And it was always God who was going to send the rain. But, but what they believe is that he had delegated that authority to Elijah for some period of time, and that, that Elijah wasn't suffering enough, and so ultimately God had to cause him to suffer enough to give that up, because he was going to be obstinate and not bring rain. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab, and the famine was severe in Samaria, which is the northern kingdom, after the kingdom is divided, after the death of Solomon. So Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household, which means that he would have been in charge of the king's um, the, the, the meals, the food, the grain, it was the same basic job that Joseph had when they were in Egypt. 
So Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and gave them bread and water. Remember, during that same period of time, the Lord hid Elijah out near the brook Cherith, and ravens came and brought him meat and bread, but and he had water from the brook. And, and what they believe is, is that meat and that bread came from Ahab's table. Obadiah is only able to secrete out some bread and water to these men that he's, he's um, set up in that cave. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and all the valleys. Perhaps we shall find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So the, the, the drought and the famine is so bad that they're not even able to keep the livestock alive at this point unless they go out and find a place, hopefully, possibly, where there's some water and therefore grass. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And on the way, Obadiah meets up with Elijah. And Obadiah recognized him, fell on his face, and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It's I. Go tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And, and Obadiah's response is, Oh, hey, hang on a minute here. How have I sinned that you should give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? I mean, that just that statement just on its face makes no sense until he, he explains why. As the Lord your God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my Lord is not sent to seek you. We've searched the entire earth for you and haven't found you. And when those people in those lands would say he's not here, Ahab would take an oath of the kingdom or the nation that they had not found you. He's going to hold them responsible if they've lied to him. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. As soon as I'm gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab he cannot find you, he'll kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord for my youth. Why would I be punished like this? Has it not been told, my Lord, that what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he'll kill me. Elijah said, no, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. I'm not going anywhere. You just bring him back here. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And this is the way Ahab greets him. This is so typical, right? He comes to Elijah, and he says, is it you, you troubler of Israel? In other words, we wouldn't be going through all this drought and famine and all that if it weren't for you. You're to blame for this. And and Elijah says, I haven't troubled Israel. You have, you and your father's house, because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. In other words, what he's saying is, is that it's Jezebel's table, not your table. You're, you're basically a eunuch in this whole thing. You're so weak that he points and says, from Jezebel's table. So he's pointing out the weakness of Ahab, who, who comes as though he is strong, because he has made all these kingdoms take oaths before him. But, but Elijah knows who the power behind the throne really is. And the threat that he poses to them is why he's called the troubler of Israel, but in spite of the fact that he's trying to call them back to the Lord. He's given them an option for what they could do here, but they refused to bow the knee. And in the gospel, you see the same thing. Now, when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. The they there is the wise men. And the, so the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream and says, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. 
And so Joseph rose, took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. And so now, Egypt, which had been before, was where they killed all the Hebrew children under Pharaoh at the time of Moses. But now, it's the safe place for the Holy Family to go back to. And so in in some ways, they go to that same land in order that they might then come and be redeemers. He might come and be a redeemer in the same way that Moses had to leave the land of Egypt in order to come back and be the redeemer. So Herod, when he saw he'd been tricked by the wise men who didn't come back, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. I mean, it's a horrible thing, but Herod here, remember, he's a Jew, and so now he has heard the proclamation that the king of the Jews had been born, and so he is threatened by that. And because he's a weak man and a violent man, he decides that he can stamp this out before it even gets started. I mean, at some level, he believes he's stronger than God, that that, that he can thwart God's plan in this way. What a fool, right? I mean, it's the same foolishness that Pharaoh tried to do by trying to make the, the uh, labor harder for the Israelite slaves in Egypt at that time, in order to keep them from wanting to follow their God, as though he had some control ultimately over things. And and sometimes what we need to see is to see that level of control and power exposed, that earthly thing, in order that, that we could see truly that God's in charge. Because sometimes we, as subjects, get caught up under all this, and we become fearful. And we become those who bow the knee and fear what man can do to me, and Jesus says, never do that. So he said that because of the death of these children, then the prophecy, Matthew says, is fulfilled. Say that is because there are more prophecies from the Old Testament contained in Matthew's gospel than in any other book in the, Old, in the New Testament. And it's to prove to his countrymen by their own scriptures that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And so the, he says this was fulfilled, what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, which is out in Bethlehem, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, the uh, wife of Jacob, his beloved wife, weeping for her children, the people of Israel. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph again in Egypt this time. So God's not a territorial God. He can be anywhere he likes. Uh, And that voice, the, the angel said, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, which is the opposite of what he had said before, but it's the very same language at the very beginning. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. But then Joseph heard that Archelaus was ruling, reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be a Nazarene. So Judea is the province in which Jerusalem is situated, as well as Bethlehem, but n- not up in the Galilee. That's a totally different province, and, and Herod is not the king over that province. So we see these threats to rulers and, and how these things have to be dealt with, right? We have to be dealt deal with this with faith, believing that there's only one true ruler of all things, including the rulers of the earth, and that is Yahweh. So in the, in the epistle today, what we've got is Paul saying... There, it, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now only as not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. So my salvation is not complete 
at the day of um, of of my making a profession of faith. You know, the the salvation of my life is, is the deliverance of my life from the slavery and the bondage of sin, and that's what Paul's getting at here. And that is, is that we should walk humbly before our God, the one who has saved us, and we should walk humbly by following and obeying His commandments. And that's all that Paul's saying there, that you've got to work out your salvation. So it's begun in you through the process of justification, and now you work through it in fear and trembling in the process of sanctification, because it's more than just simply the, the hope of eternal life. It's, it's the enjoyment of eternal life now through the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So so again, we're supposed to be separated from the world while we're still in the world in order to show the world that there's a better way. And he, he says, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He said, do it for me, right? I mean, d- d- you, I want you to make me look good at some level. I don't want you to make me look bad by, by falling away from the way that I proclaim to you that you received with great joy. He said, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink up offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. That's a powerful image right there to be poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial offering of your faith and so they would make sacrifice and then paul would be poured out as the drink offering on top of that he said even if that's the case even if i have to give up everything in order for you i am glad and rejoice with you all likewise you also should be glad and rejoice with me and then he goes on to say that, that look, I, I wanted to send Timothy. I hope to send Timothy to you soon so that I, too, may be cheered by news of you. I want somebody in person to come and see you so that they can then bring back that word of you. Your letters are wonderful, but, but when somebody can come to me because I'm in chains, when they can come to me and tell me and I can see their face and I can see their joy and I can hear it in their voice, then, then that's more important to me. He said, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your warfare welfare. In other words, you matter so much to him that his report of you would be something that would cheer me beyond any letter you could send. He said, for they all, the others, seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it'll go with me. I want to know what's going to happen to me here in in Rome before I send him to you, because maybe I can come is kind of the implication. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary now, though, to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and um, and your minister according to your need. For he has been longing for you all, and he's been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. In fact, he was near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. In other words, that, that I cared so much for Epaphroditus that I didn't want to see him gone either. And so God has a mercy not only to him for his life, but also to me, because God loves me. And he didn't want to have sorrow compounded upon sorrow in my life. And, and, and it's, it's Paul's confidence in the love of God. You see, God's not just omnipotent. He doesn't just have power. He also has this great mercy and love for his children that Paul counts on here and says that's the reason that Epaphroditus lived. It was a mercy to Epaphroditus, but not only that, it was a mercy in God's love for me that I didn't lose him while I'm here in prison. 
He said, I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious, because he's going to provide a report for you as w- to, back to me as well. <clears throat> so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor. Such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus was one of them. And so he had, had come to Paul, and Paul's now sending him back to them, have, having gone through an illness close to death. And having just been through some of that ourselves with not an illness but Will's fall, I do understand this. I, I do believe that it was God's mercy not only to Will but to us and to those who prayed because we were all strengthened and encouraged in our faith by God's faithfulness and love and his omnipotence in being able to raise Will essentially from the dead in the same way that the son of the widow of Zarephath was raised. And so we rejoice in that. And it strengthens our faith. And the reason we need our faith strengthened is because we live in a world that's opposed to those who live by faith. So it's, it's, it's always important for us to, to encourage one another and to raise one another up and to, to lift up one another and to pray for one another, but also to speak truth to one another in love, to encourage one another as well. Not just... Speaking truth in love when it's, oh, hey, I've got something bad to tell you. But no, when you've done something to encourage me and when God's used you in my life, I need to be able to say that.